Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 254. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Miss Marvel episode 4, Seeing Red, directed by Charmin Obaid Shinoy and with a teleplay by Sabir Persada and AC Bradley and Matthew Chauncey, story by Sabir Persada. This series was created for television by Bisha K. Ali, and Miss Marvel is a Kevin Feige production. Before our review begins, want to let you know about Fan Show Plus. That is the podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. If you search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts, you'll find it there and you can subscribe where you can hear non-MCU spoiler reviews like the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series or extra MCU topics that Paul and I like to discuss like Thunderbolts or Wonder Man, some of the other exciting developments coming up in the MCU, as well as Marvel making it clear that they will be at San Diego Comic-Con this year, this July 2022. So make sure you check out Fan Show Plus, and then follow us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to those who've already taken the time to share their thoughts. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing well. I just uh, last week got a great Fourth of July and a happy birthday to you, sir. Oh, uh, thank you. Yes, for those who don't know, uh, Sean has had a birthday, and I'm very, very excited. He's got one year left. So let's say it that way. He's got one year yeah. left. Um, so. I'll say yes. It's the <laughs> final year of my 30s. I am now 39, 30s. which means yes, this past birthday, which. I got to spend in part at Avengers Campus, so this being, and did, of course, Spider-Man Web Slingers, because why not? Um, also rode Rise of the Resistance, and Marvel definitely needs a ride like that in Avengers Campus on that level, uh, like the masterpiece that is Rise of the Resistance over in Galaxy's Edge. Uh, but yeah, it was a really good birthday, probably the final one that I will acknowledge, uh, because after that I hit uh, 40, and then, I don't know, although I'm not really that worried about getting older, because... My love of Marvel keeps me very, very young, uh, or so. That's what I will continue to continue to tell myself uh, as these uh, years go by and just add up. But anyway, uh, yes, it was a busy holiday slash birthday weekend. So thank you all for your patience and waiting for this somewhat delayed uh, review of episode four, because even as we're recording this, Episode five is already out. We haven't watched it yet. We haven't jumped ahead, so we're not going to have... Our perception of this episode is not informed by anything that's happening uh, in episode five, which as you're listening to this, perhaps you have already seen. So you may have an advance notice on exactly how wrong we are in any predictions we may make uh, as we discuss uh, episode four of Miss Marvel. But Paul, you and I have been very high on this series. Maybe for me, me from for me anyway, from the very start, you maybe not as in love with it after the first episode, but. By episode three last week, I think we were pretty much both on the same page with how much we're enjoying mm -hmm. this series. And right. this episode, I would not, to be as clear as I can be at the start of this podcast, this is not a bad episode at all. It's not even a, a medium, mediocre episode. This is a very good episode of Miss Marvel that, for me, just wasn't quite on the level of the first three. But a lot of that had to do with how good the first three were. 
as opposed to anything, any real major flaws in this episode. Because there's not a whole lot of things that I would point to and say that this was wrong. I mean, this was wrong in the episode, or this is why I didn't respond to it or in right. quite the same way. I, I think, Paul, though, this one was a little more action heavy, which I appreciated. I like action in these series, and we got a couple mm-hmm. of good fight scenes. Uh, another chase scene in this one. So all of that stuff uh, was perfectly enjoyable. And I think because those set pieces were so big and, and of course, would have taken so much time to devote to them shoot days and, and the whole thing, that maybe the rest of the episode didn't get quite as much attention and even the smaller, more emotional family moments, those scenes felt a little bit more compressed in this episode. So... I, it, it's harder to dive deep in this episode because it does feel like it's operating more on a surface level as opposed to some of the deeper themes that we've uncovered in, in emotional moments that we've uncovered in previous episodes. But it's still there, and we will extract it and discuss it in this uh, in this <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, this was a, a solid episode, uh, even if it wasn't quite on the level of the first three, for me anyway. What did you think? Well, first of all, I want to say that I think this episode is pretty much the the uh, clear cut, more superhero focused episode, which we haven't really got a super focused superhero aspect of the show as of yet. We've gotten parts of it and it's been, I think, very well written to a point where it's blended the superhero elements a little more amongst the family drama and this but with a more of an emphasis on the family. Now, with the superhero stuff became more the forefront and the family stuff became more the back background on this episode. And I think you but you needed to do that at this point, because now you've already established a little bit of the rules of what's going on with Miss Marvel and where she's, you know, her powers come from. You need to kind of start explaining a little bit more and diving into more of that world of what's going to be setting up this character. And and this is what is kind of evident to me, Sean. And of all the series, I would say with I would say probably Falcon Winter Soldier being the next as the best example of this so far after these um, three episodes, I would say that this and Falcon Winter Soldier are probably the most accurate of a longer Marvel movie than the other series. Uh, Moon Knight, I would say, is a third. But that's. I don't know. I would, yeah, that's a little bit different. It feels more like a TV series to me, in my opinion. But Loki felt like more of a TV series. WandaVision was its own thing, which was awesome. You know, these are not negative things by any means, but you get what I'm saying. This mm-hmm. feels more like the beats of a film after three episodes than it just is a TV show. And that's the one of the things that I thought was interesting was it felt like this was the the middle, literally the middle of the movie, right? Like, you know, any kind of origins film. You get more of like things start picking up in that middle ground part, usually, right? Uh, Shang-Chi comes to mind, to be honest, something like that, where things start to kind of evolve and start to understand more. And that's exactly what they're doing here. It's structured very much like a longer film, which, again, that's not always the case with these TV series, you know, by any means. So I thought it was really interesting the fact that, like, they really got us invested in the characters. And then now we're starting to get into more of the fun, you know, I don't want to say sillier aspects, but the more science fiction, fantasy based stuff that, you know, we want from these. One of the main reasons why we watch these shows, right, is to kind of see the supernatural and super fun stuff of this uh, of the Marvel Universe. So I really like this episode. Do I love it as much as the other ones? it's on par. I don't, but like you said before, I think maybe before the show, I mean, I don't, I don't remember if you ever said it right off the bat here, but there's not a lot of like meat on this. Not, not really. There's not a lot of drama on this necessarily, but it's a lot of necessary 
exposition and setup that you need to have in any kind of story, much less, you know, if it's a film or a TV series, this is the episode that kind of does some of the heavy lifting for what needs to come afterwards. That's really going to set up a lot of things, you know, I think for the series. And to be honest, I think for Miss Marvel's trajectory afterwards too. So this was a very important episode is the most, you know, dynamic and we're going to talk for three hours on it. Probably not, but that's not a bad thing by any means. It's 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 a necessary episode, and to be honest, you need to start showcasing more and more of Miss Marvel's powers, and not just showcasing them, but her developing herself with them. So I think it does a lot of heavy lifting that it needs to do to get her to where we need to see her at the end of the series. I think so, and it's also really the world building and, and more of the mythology building because we start to get a little more information on this. We don't understand everything or even close to everything by the end of this episode, but we start to dig a little bit deeper into the mythology around it. And that part I, I definitely enjoyed and the action beats I enjoyed. I think the other part of the, the difference for me in this episode is obviously you remove it where you remove this from Jersey city, New Jersey. And now we're in, in Karachi and in Pakistan. And I, of course, Love being able to see uh, see Miss Marvel, see Kamala Khan exploring uh, exploring this and exploring her culture and her heritage and everything and all of that. I think was was very enjoyable in the episode. I think it was really just because the whole family didn't make the trip. I think maybe that was where uh, I, I was missing Yusuf. I, I was missing her brother. I was missing all of these other characters that had been part of it. Um, although they can't be in every episode and there's a lot of stuff that they they had to cover. But I definitely missed some of the characters that we were loving a lot in uh, in the first few episodes. But this one, as I said, it was still a strong, solid adventure with Kamala Khan. So in, in getting into it, I really like the way that it started with the arrival in Karachi. I thought it was really funny. The back and forth between Kamala and her mom, Muniba, uh, with that poor guy stuck in the middle of this mother and daughter arguing it out. Uh, on the plane, I thought was really funny. But then I, I think the part that and we talk about the the emotion of the episode and, and where it did, it was there, even if it wasn't uh, as emphasized in this episode as previous installments, where it was, uh, where it kind of worked, it was just showing how, because we meet Sana, uh, Kamala's grandmother, Muniba's mother, and we see that Sana is to Muniba as Muniba is to Kamala, in that it's that mother and daughter eternal struggle relationship that they talked about last week, where when Sana greets her granddaughter Kamala, it, it's all love. My granddaughter, oh, you like my bracelets? You can have them. It's it's just all it's all love. It's all warm and fuzzy and all of that stuff. But then, as soon as Sana sees her own daughter Muniba, then it's a criticism. Your skin is so dry. Are you again on one of your strange diets? And, uh, of course, we see that tension between Muniba and her mother, Sana, as we've seen that tension between uh, between Muniba and her daughter, Kamala. So that part I really liked, and I also appreciate that this episode gave Muniba and Sana uh, a scene together that I thought was good. I just wanted it to go on for longer. I thought it deserved more time than what it got in this episode, but we'll talk about that when uh, when we get to it. But then we get to see the family home, and we see that Sana is an artist, and she's talking about the only way to hold on to what we lost was to create it uh, myself, referring to painting images of her family, like her own mother, Aisha, 
that, of course, is Kamala's great-grandmother, who originally had the bangle uh, when last we saw it, uh, of course, in the flashbacks from the previous episode. So I, I think a lot of that, a lot of those elements in introducing her her cousins, that worked for me. And, and I think as an emotional beat that I also liked was when Sana was confirming for Kamala that Kamala is indeed a jinn. When Kamala is wondering why her grandmother is so matter-of-fact by that, how, how can you be so calm and, and cool about this? And she just says, eh, it's just genetics. And then Sana, of course, talks about that experience of following the trail of stars to that last train on the night of partition. But what Sana is more focused on is not just where Kamala comes from in that she is the jinn, but where exact, but what is she going to do with it? What is she supposed to do? And that is where Sana is trying to encourage Kamala to explore. The Bengal has brought us together for some reason, but we have to figure it out. I kind of wish that them figuring it out was more of a team effort than Kamala just kind of goes off on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a that was a little bit of where I, I tripped up on that scene because it, it seems like we need to be together to figure out this shared vision of the train, but we're going to spend very little time together uh, between Sana and, and Kamala. So that, I thought, uh, could have been done a, a little bit better uh, in the episode. But I, I still like where its heart is at in terms of Kamala's grandmother trying to expand her perspective. Like, don't just focus so much on what you are. Focus on what you're going to do, why you're going to do it, I think are the ideas that she's getting at, which almost feels like its own expansion of the of the lesson uh, that we that Kamala heard previously, that good is not a thing you are, it's a thing you do. Um, and I think that is uh, furthered a little bit by this conversation with her grandmother that I, I just wish there was more of this stuff and more of them working through this together in the episode. Yeah, and that's one thing that's missing from this episode is that more of that family dynamic that we saw in the, in the, previously. And yeah, the grandmother stuff was great. Um, it, it was good to see Kamala see a, like a kindred spirit, you know? I, we already got that right. kind of idea before but it was good to see it kind of in in motion and to see that these two people are she's not the black sheep as she as much as she thinks she is and just you know just seeing someone like herself and like you said like someone kind of telling her a little more of the mythology and kind of you kind of think that that she's going to tell her more she's going to be this key but she it's she's not and i I'm very curious what that means. Um, obviously, I think the grandmother plays a, a bigger role than we, you know, I, that we're probably we're seeing right now. And again, that remains to be seen. But I did like that aspect. But I also, but to be honest, I kind of like the idea of of Kamala trying to find this out on her own too. I think there's there's a good journey about that. That she's because that's the one thing I will give her credit for. She has you know Bruno helping her out and hanging out. But she very much is kind of finding this stuff out on her own for the most part. And I like this. It's kind of continued that idea that she's kind of she's capable by herself. And I think she's able to, you know, to kind of figure things out on her own. So I think there's it only adds to that idea of the character and I think builds that idea. And I think that's where that's why I, I kind of am OK with it more. With her grandmother taking a little bit more of a backseat. I don't think she's not going. I think her grandmother will be a bigger role. But at this point, I like the idea of her kind of going on her own and doing her own thing. I think that's a continues the character. I think they set up previously. Yeah, I don't mind that the episode ultimately gets Kamala exploring things on her own because I guess, yeah, the, the fight scene with Red Dagger becomes a, a lot more complicated if uh, if her grandmother is there. But I, I wish there would have been a better setup for that, that they are working together a little bit 
and then Kamala eventually goes off on her own, I, I think would have just worked a, a little bit better the, for me. But what if the grandma would like kick the crap out of Red Dagger? I mean, that would actually look, been, that, that would have been unbelievable. That would have been unbelievable <laughs> if Sana who had taken out uh, Kareem. That would have been uh, outstanding. I, I would have absolutely yes. flipped for it, but. I agree with your point, though, that it's good to see Kamala doing some things on her own and having to figure some things out uh, for herself and then, of course, finding new resources of information. But that still, of course, only gets her so far. But yeah, I just I, I really wanted a, a little bit more of we saw the same thing. Let's together try to figure out exactly what that means. But in any event, uh, Kamala, in order to discover that she's going to have to get to a train station. But before that, She's going to go out exploring with her cousins and she has to visit with family because as her mother tells her, the point of a visit is to visit. And uh, during uh, while they're uh, while they're eating, there is an auntie who, who comes up and talks about how uh, Kamala's name isn't necessarily a traditional Pakistani name and uh, talks about Muniba being a bit of a rebel. And that is something that Kamala had no idea about. And this is the the kind of thing where with this episode where it introduced something that I'm like, that sounds great. I want to know more about that. And then it just kind of moves away from it. And I felt like that was definitely an opportunity because what has been missing between Kamala and Muniba is this understanding of each other. And you mentioned this kind of kinship that Kamala almost automatically has with Sana, even though Kamala in her whole life, it doesn't seem that she spent that much time with her grandmother but there is some point where they connect their imagination. Both of them are artists, right? Because Sana paints and draws. What do we see Kamala doing in her notebook? Drawing all over the place, and she's pretty good at it. So she knows what it's like to have these dreams in her head and try to make them as real as she can by putting them down. And so I, I love that that's there for Sana and her grandmother. But we've, when we've had this struggle between, uh, be, or I'm sorry, Kamala and her grandmother Sana, when we have this struggle between Kamala and Muniba, this was kind of a, a nice point that I felt like maybe could have been explored uh, a little bit more here, but it's fine. Um, I just like the hint that Muniba is not necessarily who we think she is or not necessarily who Kamala thinks that she is and thinks that she has her mother completely figured out. Because I think the truth is when you are a kid, you don't really know your parents until much later in life because you just have a certain idea of who your parents are, but that's the the version of themselves that they let you see as a kid uh, as opposed to every aspect of their identity and certain aspects of their identity and what they used to do that maybe they don't do anymore since they had kids. So that piece mm -hmm. of it, I, I really, I, I loved the suggestion of that in this scene. It was just the kind of thing where I, I felt like they could have gone, uh, like they could have gone deeper with it. But then when Kamala went out and was you know, shopping with her cousins and all of that stuff, um, that was all a lot of fun and it was all really cool to see. Um, and then there's a specific thing that she sees at the train station before the fight starts that I want to get into. But um, Paul, first, uh, you know, your thoughts on, on the visit with family between and, and Muniba the rebel. You know, one thing that I think that I'm, I love about the show, and I'm, I'm going to say it you know, outright besides the superhero stuff, which I love all that stuff is the family dynamic. I, I love the themes of family, of, of, of people like starting off one way as far as, you know, they're, they're far apart in their ideas and how like they connect. And then by, by the end, hopefully they're all connecting. Right. And th that's timeless. I love that stuff, especially being a father. Now that's, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a given for me. I'm going to love that regardless. It's, it's, I'm sorry. So if you don't like that and you hate it, oh, well, um, here's the thing. 
the one thing with Muniba that I think what they're already setting up a little bit is that, and this is, and again, I talked about this in other episodes too. It's important the fact that even though people are vastly different, there are things that will connect you to them that you had no idea that you're like, wow, you connect to them even stronger than you ever thought you would because there's something that you could just, there's one thing that can bind you together. And I think the one thing Moniba and Kamala have in common is the desire to do what they think is right. And I think that in that conviction is important, whether in any kind of storytelling, you're going to, you want to have your protagonist to be, have that conviction and believe in whatever they're doing and doing it for, for a good cause or for whatever cause it is, you want them to believe in what they're doing. And to me, for her, if you spend the whole series explaining Muniba and her disconnect, you know, their disconnect of being together and then, you know, you're, they don't they can't figure out where they connect it, where she's probably maybe struggles to try to do the right thing and have that conviction. If she doesn't know if she should do it or not, it'll be her mom who will probably be the one to give her the the the, the go speech or, you know, the speech they give her the conviction, that rebel, that idea that even though you may not everyone will think that you're you're wrong for doing it, you have to do it because, you know, it's right. They've already kind of done that a little bit here, but I think that they're setting that up to have that connection where she never understood where her mom, you know, came from and how they could connect as people is that they'll, she'll realize where her mom, her and her mom, their strength lies in is doing what they need to do in, in whatever it need, they need to, um, because they believe it's right. And I think that that's where I think they'll have that connection. And they're setting that up with that whole rebellious attitude as her mom when she needs to do something, she'll do it. Or she's just driven and she'll she'll do whatever it takes to do what she needs to. And maybe it is forsaking some of her rebellious ideas, you know, for her family to you know, live in America where she talked about previously with her daughter. It feels like that's where they're setting up, which I, I like. I love all the family stuff. So I like – I don't really care where they go with it. But that's where it feels like they're going right now with the whole rebellious idea because, you know, you definitely see Kamala not afraid to go outside the box. And her mom, if she's a rebel – what has that way too, but where did she, you know, where is that sacrifice? And I think that's where the connection is going to be. And I'm looking forward to seeing where Kamala has to sacrifice and where her and her mom will connect on that sacrifice and doing what they need to do for the sake of doing the right thing. So that's where I'm kind of leading with it. And I love that aspect of it. Yeah. And I think they're definitely setting up that moment, right? Where in that moment of doubt, Muniba is going to be the one who, basically reassures Kamala that she's doing the right thing and to go forward and do it as Miss Marvel and, and go save the day and go be a hero. And not for the sake of being a hero, being recognized as a hero, but as you said, doing the right thing. And and I think where what I liked a lot in this episode we'll get to is, you know, we, we get more of the reason why Muniba has this aversion to imagination and, and wild theories and and not just being fully present in the practical world of, of what you have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. We get that info, and, and I think that is certainly one of the more valuable parts of this episode that sets up where Muniba and Kamala will inevitably come together over the course of uh, of this story and potentially future stories because these characters are, are going to go on. But I mentioned you know, Kamala went on her own to the train station because her cousins had someplace else to be. And that sets up a fight. But before the fight starts, Kamala looks at a mural that has Ant-Man on it. And it has a message on it that says, you can start small and still be larger than life, which is very appropriate for Kamala Khan and her journey, right? She's made references to 
not being a superhero and and obviously the bangle is not meant for her to become a superhero or, or any of these things very dismissive of the idea that this could be her uh, that there that the reason for this is because Kamala Khan is the hero or a hero that the world needs and, and to serve this greater purpose she feels like she's more facilitating that than, as opposed to actually serving it and a lot of that is just feeling like she has this small life from this small place and that's all that it's supposed to be but here's the Ant-Man mural with the message that Kamala needs to hear and and I'm sure a part of her believes in even if she can't fully let herself at this moment you can start small and still be larger than life that is Kamala's journey right there it's also of, of course right there is a pun for Ant-Man and I can't help but notice that we just continue to see these Ant-Man references more so than other superheroes right whether it's the the rolling helmet at AvengerCon or it's the the podcast that Scott Lang was on that Kamala got most of her information on about the final battle, which she was recapping on her YouTube her own YouTube channel for Sloth Baby Productions. And here we see another uh, more Ant-Man artwork right here. And I know that the the size pun is appropriate for the message for Kamala and, and the whole you know summarization of her journey and all of that. Yes, it's all of those things, but we also continue to see Ant-Man more than any other hero, except for Captain Marvel, but most of the Captain Marvel references are in Kamala's room. So out in the world, we're mostly seeing Ant-Man references, and I can't help but feel like that is very, very intentional and, and not just to set up a, a size pun. I think they are setting up an eventual connection between Kamala Khan and, uh, and Scott Lang and possibly Hope Van Dyne. I think it's all coming together somehow exactly how or why I don't really know, but we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania and the Marvels both coming out next year. And I wouldn't be surprised if Miss Marvel pops up in both of them. We know she's going to be in the Marvels, but it wouldn't surprise me if she pops up in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, even if it's just in a mid or post credit scene. Cause one of the things that we've speculated about before, and it's been so long that it's actually been years now, <laughs> like, Endgame, so three years ago, we've been talking about maybe even longer than that, but we've talked about this idea of young Avengers or, you know, much to Paul's chagrin if they end up being called uh, champions, but whatever the young Whoa. superhero team is, let's just call them young Avengers because it makes you feel better. Thank you. I appreciate it. One of the ideas that we've talked about is that they would have chaperones, right? There would be some veteran Avengers who might be in on it to help facilitate and, and help supervise this young team or play some mentor, this young team, whatever the dynamic may ultimately be. And you got to feel like if there's a young superhero team, a young Avengers team, Kamala Khan has to be one of the favorites to be part of it and to be a major part of it. And if you're looking at parental chaperones, Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne are among the top two candidates. I mean, Scott actually is a parent, and Cassie is probably going to become a superhero in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, whether it's Stature or one of her other superhero identities that, she had, that she's had in the comic books over the years. And so, I don't know. I, I feel like we are planting very, very early seeds for some connection between Kamala Khan and Scott Lang and then eventually Hope Van Dyne. Because if you think about it, Captain Marvel is slash Carol Danvers, no doubt, no question, that is Kamala Khan's favorite Avenger right now. But which Avenger would Kamala Khan probably know the best? 
Probably Scott Lang, because he's the guy who opened himself up to the world in a podcast. Um, and maybe that would be just the beginning of a connection or a relationship between um, the two of them, should they eventually meet. And I believe they will sooner than later in the MCU. Man, I since you brought up the whole Ant-Man chaperone thing, I I love it. And it makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense, especially with all these Ant-Man references. I did... Not until you mentioned it, but it's funny. I did start to kind of notice, like, man, there's a lot of Ant-Man references. Like, kind of like, oh, yeah, another, another Ant-Man reference. But when you actually said it, I'm like, no, it's starting, you're right. It's starting to add up a lot. Like, they're really trying to emphasize the fact that, you know, where he, where he will, you know, go and help out. Especially, and I, I won't go too long, because I could go, you know, for, for lore and things like that, I could go for hours about Marvel. But I'm just going to throw this out there for the audience. It would not surprise me for a lot of different reasons, but let's just think, think about this. Okay, Sean, uh, Quantum Mania, who's the main villain as we know it right now? Kang the Conqueror. And who is one of the founding members of the Young Avengers? Kang the Conqueror, <laughs> sort of. A very young version of himself. Exactly. I think it's very possible that there could be setting up something like that because if, especially with considering, you know, the actor he's playing him, um, there's lots of really fun stuff you could do with this ser- with that with that dynamic. It's it's complicated, but it's also interesting. It could be played for laughs, and there's there's some interesting things you could do there with it. And I think almost feels like Ant Man's that way for to introduce all the, this this audience to this new superhero team, and having Paul Rudd, the most likable maybe actor in all of Hollywood. That I think any does anyone have a problem with Paul Rudd? I mean, honestly, I don't think anyone said anything bad about him online. At least for I can see, it. no one says anything bad. He's hilarious. Um, it feels like he'd be a good kind of not olive branch, not really the right word, but kind of like a good kind of a help segue the audience to these younger heroes and kind of introduce everyone to, the, to them and, and also kind of give that Marvel feel, that energy that mm-hmm. we need. Um, it just feels right. And with Quantum Mania could set up an idea of a younger King of the Conqueror coming back at some point. So it's just throw it out there. Just want to throw it out there. Well, and I think that it's, I mean, we've talked about what it would mean for Kamala Khan, but the whole becoming a chaperone thing, a leader mentor type of figure for Scott Lang. It's also one of the next steps or potential steps in his character arc, right? Because he's kind of been the fun one uh, as far as Avengers go, but he hasn't necessarily had to step up and lead anyone um, other than, I I guess he's had to lead the entourage a little bit in the Ant-Man movies, but it's not quite on the same level. And so to see Scott Lang perhaps take charge of, of mentoring uh, with hope, presumably as well, mentoring some of the the young Avengers, I, I, I can just I could totally see it happening, and I, I hope that it happens. And if I if it ends up being something that was all speculation that was for naught, it wouldn't be the first time. Uh, but it's certainly an idea that I think would be a lot of fun if that's what they are choosing to do in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But anyway, back to the train station, and now we've got a fight because that mural catches a dagger with a red handle because red daggers, obviously. And uh, it is a fight between Kamala and this masked man who is a member of the rag, uh, the Red Daggers. We later learn his name is Kareem. He's played by Aramis Knight. And how did he find her? Well, he sensed the Noor. That, of course, is the hard light powers that Kamala has, that she's tapping into the Noor dimension where the Jinn are from. They're not able to access it in this world, but Kamala is for some reason. That has not yet been defined, although it is theorized a little bit later on in uh, in the episode 
But the whole thing of the way this fight uh, happened and the whole reason for this fight, I really liked because it was classic Marvel hero mix-up as far as why heroes fight is uh, mistaken perceptions of exactly what the other person is there to do. So Kareem as a red dagger, they fight against the djinn. And she just, he, or he just sensed that Kamala was a member of the djinn and therefore an enemy. Turns out she was not. So then they get to be friends. After a cool little fight scene that I liked, daggers versus the Noor powers, all of that was totally cool and fun. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's a classic. I mean, it's not just Marvel Comics happens in DC as well, but um, <laughs> Marvel Comics really emphasize hero versus hero fights. And if you're going to have heroes fight all the time, it really has to be for, you know, you can come up with uh, more creative reasons, but the easiest thing that you can go to, and it works pretty much every time, is the mix-up, uh, which I appreciated that touch here for one of the Red Daggers versus uh, Kamala Khan yeah. uh, in this fight scene. I thought that part was a lot of fun. And from an action perspective, it was a really cool scene. Yeah, to me, this, this is what I was talking about earlier. You have to set up the kind of idea that she's evolving with her powers to set up, you know, the eventual, you know, fight or, you know, where she gets up, where she, or we find her at the end of the season, right? We need to have a training kind of episode and, and we need to see her and believe the fact that she can take care of herself now with her powers as we kind of see her struggle a little bit in the previous, you know, episodes. I, I love this stuff, man. I I have seen the discourse a little bit, as far as I can tell. Maybe it's still out there in heavy form. I don't know. But it feels like the discourse of, you know, why is she stretchy, blah, blah, blah. It feels that's starting to kind of die down because I got to tell you, this Norse stuff is rad. It's like, cool. Str it's straight up way better than anything stretchy, you know, Miss Marvel would be. I'm sorry. I love it. I love the powers, man. It feels like a great blend. I've said it before. In previous and it's episodes. still stretchy. Exactly. It's still exactly. stretchy and it's more than that. Exactly. I she's more powerful and I love that about her. I, she cuz that's the one thing I would say about the comics, you know, again, there's there's power levels with stretchy powers. I mean, ask Plastic Man, Reed Richards and all that stuff, but there's the what they've given her is way more power and a, and a little more substance to be quite honest and i feel like there's a lot more interesting things to do with her um power wise and just fun fighting wise so i feel like this was and i just love the way that she uses the powers too like the steps i love the steps i think those are really interesting uh dynamic with a, a kid it just feels like a teenager would do it like the way she's doing it right and it feels it feels real and i love that I love the fact that it feels like a teenager using these powers. It's not just, you know, a random person. Anyone can do this, but just the way she uses them, it feels like a kid using them the way they would, you know, way she does. So I love it. I, I think to me, this I'm, I'm 1000% behind these new powers. I think the, the comics need to get behind this ASAP because this is the way to go. Well, and I think what they do a good job of a little bit later on in the episode is talking about, Kamala is unique in having these powers. And that's where I would say it's a level up from the comic books because, I mean, her power set isn't that unique. Other superheroes have it. But the way she gets her powers is not unique. It was a Terrigen cloud that went around all of Earth and millions more inhumans were, you know, went through Terrigenesis and got their powers and everything and took on new forms at the same time or around the same time. Whereas the way they are setting up her powers so far makes it very, very unique to her. And it just makes Kamala that much more special as a, as a character. And so that part, I really do uh, I really do appreciate. And 
That information comes to light a little bit in the Red Daggers secret hideout where we meet Waleed, played by Farhan Akhtar. And the Red Daggers are protect have been protecting people from threats of the unseen, like the clandestines, uh, whom we met uh, earlier on in the series, and we will see very, very soon. And what do they want? Well, again, they want to go home, but as Bruno theorized, going home could be very, very bad, and we learn exactly how bad, thanks to Waleed, where he says that the the border that separates our dimensions, the, our main MCU Earth dimension and the Noor dimension, it's the Veil of Noor, and if that were to be torn down to allow the clandestines to go home, then that means it would unleash their world onto ours until there's nothing left of it. So really, really bad. Not just a boom, but a very, very big boom that could end uh, all of Earth. And that is a risk or that is an outcome that we know that the clandestines are very much aware of and they just don't care. And they're willing to pursue that anyway just to get what they want to go home for the various reasons, I suppose, that people want to go home and, and anything else we may learn. But uh, I, I liked defining the stakes here, even though, yes, it's stakes we're very familiar with, that if the bad guys get their way, Earth is done. Uh, so we've been there before. We'll be there again. Uh, but I at least like the explanation of exactly what would go wrong uh, if the clandestines would go home, because then it obviously reaffirms why Kamala Khan should not uh, help them. Anyway, uh, they also discover an inscription on the Bengal, and it says, what you seek is seeking you. So very interesting thing, especially at a point in Kamala's life where there's a lot of things that she is seeking, meaning, identity, and then, of course, the very nature of these powers. And what she's looking for is, uh, in part, her truth, her family's truth, her history, and all of those things may be reaching out looking for her, uh, as we start to see maybe at the very end of this episode. Um, but yeah, this is the stuff that I talked about that I really like, the mythology building, the world building of this, and then just furthering, expanding on the plot a little bit of, of exactly what's at stake here from a more danger slash safety perspective. Obviously, we know the emotional stakes for Kamala in this story by now. Um, of course, they will continue to expand on those. Uh, but this scene um, that gives us a little more history of the Red Daggers that we were just introduced to, as well as this longstanding rivalry with the clandestines, I, I thought was really cool. Yeah, this was something that I... I was kind of interested into learning more about because this weekend after watching this episode, I, I have not read any of the clandestine comic books that Alan Davis wrote, you know, or drew. And I, I said to myself, I'm going to read them this weekend. And I wanted to kind of learn more because I wanted to see, you know, what, what exactly are they potentially setting up with this? And I got to tell you, Sean, there's not much, <laughs> there's not much in there. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't read too deep because I, I after I read like four or five issues, I was like, okay, there's nothing really here. And I did a little more digging, and I went, okay, so basically, the the, the you know the the, uh, the the Nor and the Din, they're all the very there's not a lot going on there. And when you you're trying to kind of create a new backstory for the character because the inhuman aspect is gone um, and not going to be used. Uh, I'll be honest. I like the fact that they're doing different stuff with it, and and it does leave a little a lot more mystery for me as a reader, as someone who loves the comics and loves to read comics. Uh, kind of guessing a little bit because there is a lot of, there, there's a lot of stuff they could do here. Now I have a little bit of a criticism. Uh, 
and this is not really on the show per se, but it's on the MCU in general. I'm a little nervous of it is how much dimension hopping we're doing mm. in general. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and the, granted they talked about it already in the previous the series, but it just kind of came more, it kind of came more in my face when, you know, the red dagger guy was talking and saying, Oh, if this happens, it's going to, oh, this is a dimension. I'm like, wait, did we just do a dimension thing with like Shang-Chi? And then we just, uh, I started thinking, you know, the MCU with, with multiverses, they may want to scale it back with dimension hopping because how many dimensions are there? I mean, granted, like in the comics, infinite. to be yeah. fair, <laughs> so. yeah, there's infinite. I get it. It's it's a trope. But because we're in a more condensed uh, environment of the MCU where everything is very much focused on, we're in the comics. I'm not have... so sure we are anymore. I, I think we are it very. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've had the multiverse obviously running through so many things like Loki and of course, Spider-Man no way home, Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. And then yes, alternate dimensions, which we've also talked about. And that's also Dr. Strange territory, but also Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings and, and Miss Marvel. And of course those are just the places I'm, I'm naming off the top of my head right now. There's obviously more. And so I, I think that I agree with that point that it almost seems it almost seems like it's too much and almost seems too much for them to be able to wrangle. But at the same time, I don't even think they're trying to wrangle it. I, I think this is just this mm -hmm. massive chaotic wave of multiverse and alternate dimensions and, and all of those things that we're not meant to. It, some of it is just storytelling device of if they, sure. the bigger they make it, then the harder it is for us to say, well, that's not consistent, that's co not consistent, and try to find these little plot holes and continuity breaks in this stuff because it's that much harder when you just say, ah, it's that, it's, it's immeasurable. There, there is no stop. There is no stop to it. There is no start to it, or end, or whatever it may be. Um, so we're just meant to kind of go be along for the ride on some of these things. So that part I, I have no problem with, um, and I, I can come to terms with that. But I do agree with your. Your other, uh, with the other point you were making though about this, which is, it still becomes a bit of a trope and, and a bit of a crutch of whenever we need to introduce a new concept, here's a brand new dimension that that concept comes from. Um, so that's where you you don't want it to get dull. You, you don't want it to feel overly repetitive uh, by continuing to do these types of things um, in so many stories in such close you know, proximity to each other on the calendar. Yeah, and that again, I. It's it's a minor criticism because I, I just don't want it to be all dimension and multiverse hopping. That's all we're getting, and, and I don't think we're going to. But I would like to get away from that because I I don't mind a little just old fashioned like there's a new super villain around and just comes out is and he's in the same universe you know heaven forbid you know the kind of a thing so. Again, it, honestly, to be and you're gonna people are gonna like you know, throw things at me for, for and I don't really care. Uh, the Eternals, I'm gonna praise the Eternals for do, giving us a different kind of idea where it's it's bonkers idea. Now, was it the best executed? Maybe not, but I give them credit. It was a different concept for Phase Four, and I, um, you know, and I like that. I like the fact that it's a little different. It's, not, it's it, looking back at that now, it feels a little more outside the box in a good way, to be honest. And and I, I do hope that in future projects of MCU, they're not, they're going to, we're going to lean away from a little bit of the dimension stuff and go focus on the dimension we're in now, which is the 616, I guess, MCU version. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. I, I want to focus in on the, the task at hand. Now, now Kang's a little bit different. 
but and I think is because he's gonna he's doing time and dimensions and he's kind of doing both. And he's just I was I love Kang. I'm 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 gonna be I'm gonna you know contradict myself a little bit. I I, I don't mind as much as him, but just tone it back a little bit with the other projects. I think it'd be better overall. But again, I I, I will, it remains to be seen what they're doing, and I I don't mind saying I was wrong. So, but right now we're treading on repetitive territory. We're yeah. treading on it. We're not there. We're we're getting there, and I'm a little worried about that. Well, I like it for Miss Marvel because of where I think she is meant to be connected to. I mean, obviously, we know all the stuff with the Marvels. And if we're talking about potential Ant-Man connections, then alternate dimensions is right in there. Um, And, uh, you know, right in that quantum-y type of territory because you just put quantum in front of everything. So I I think that it definitely works on that level. And, of course, it works when you go into Young Avengers territory and possibly Kang and, and all of those different angles uh, that they could explore with this character. And also the Shang-Chi connection that could, or potential connection anyway. I mean, we talked about the idea of these powered artifacts in the MCU, whether it's the Ten Rings or this bangle, and there's supposed to be another one uh, that's out there somewhere. So all of those things, I, I like those potential connections, and so I'm perfectly fine with Kamala Khan being in that multi-dimensional space. Uh, but yes, it is totally a thing to you know watch out for as MCU stories go on that it doesn't become too much of a trope to where we don't even react to it anymore. She's like, oh, another dimension. All right, um, you know, you, you still want it to be fun, and you still want it to feel as fresh uh, as it can. So uh, speaking of tropes, uh, prison escape from. <laughs> from supervillains. So we see this Department of Damage Control Supermax Prison, or so we're told that is this location. Uh, But I guess they should have sent the Jinn to the raft because uh, they could not be held in this Supermax Prison. Uh, The clandestines do decide to leave uh, Kamran behind because he betrayed them earlier. He did not side with them when Kamala uh, wanted a little more time to think about whether or not she would help send them home. They tell him he's made his, or his mother tells him that he's made his choice and now he has to live with it. This scene, I, I just, uh, I wouldn't say I laughed at it, but I, I did just think about it like this is uh, definitely a, a trope. And I was always like, why even have them get arrested? And, or at least, I don't know, have them escape from jail. Don't send them, don't introduce me to the Department of Damage Control Supermax prison and then they get out of it in like five seconds. Rather easily, by the way. Um, not even part of some well thought out uh, escape plan or anything like that. Just an opportunity within the moment. Uh, this scene I, I thought was really, really corny, um, and I probably could have just done without it. I would have rather seen the Jin escape from the cop cars on the way to jail or, or something like that. It just wasn't worth it to introduce this concept of a supermax prison um, that isn't very super at all. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Obviously, it was to set up, you know, the, the betrayal and, you know, of, of her son and, and everything. So but that could happen any other way, you know, like they, yeah, that's fair. That's they, fair. they get out of a local jail. You got to stay put yeah. or, or you're not coming with us. That moment can happen anywhere in any form of escape. It just seemed kind of silly, like they were trying very hard in a very fast way to like elevate the gin of like, check it out. They're escaping us from a supermax prison. And I'm like, that's fine. But. This just doesn't really look like all that much of a supermax prison. I don't buy it. That's fair. No, <laughs> so, I'm with you. But anyway, you. Um, then we get uh, a scene between Sana and Kamala. So more of what I was uh, hoping for in the episode, uh, but at least we got it there. And, and this was a good scene where Kamala is kind of going back and talking about what she's learned and trying to figure things out. 
And Sana is talking about her own life and how she tried to figure it out. And it's even saying, like, even at my age, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And when Kamala asks her if she thinks she'll ever figure it out and uh, Sana's response, what's the rush? That I absolutely loved. And so I I, I don't want to harp on this too much because I, I got some of what I wanted in these scenes between Sana and Kamala. I just feel like what, what, what what's here was very good and I, I just think there could have been more of it in the episode, or at least I know I certainly would have enjoyed more of it in the episode, because I, I loved this, and, and I love the conversation here between a granddaughter and her grandmother, where her grandmother, who is much closer to the end of her life than the beginning, where Kamala is at, even being very honest with her and saying, I'm still trying to figure out who I am, because I don't know that there's that's a thing that you have a final answer on uh, throughout your life, is that it's still a, a process. If you think of yourself as someone who's still evolving and growing, as a lot of us would like to think that we are, then it's it's true. And and I think that's something that maybe is, well, not maybe, it's definitely harder to understand, I think, when you are a teenager and you're at this point where you're trying to carve out your own identity in this world and figure out exactly what that is. And you do think, because the people you see, the, the grownups that you see in your life seem so self-assured and seem like they totally have it together, but that's because they're not letting you see the moments where they don't have it together or they don't have everything figured out. And so a lot of that when you're a kid is just based on these assumptions of who you're supposed to be and how you're and when you're supposed to have all of that figured out. So to have this moment where Kamala is seeing from her, her own grandmother that even her grandmother doesn't have it all figured out uh, for exactly who she is. And that question of what's the rush, I, I absolutely love, because it's almost kind of surrendering surrendering yourself to this journey of uh, of learning who you are and deciding who you want, who you're going to be, uh, that I, I really love. So this is the kind of stuff where I felt like they could have explored these things on a deeper level uh, by expanding on these scenes, but at least they hit some high points in, in moments like this. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I Nothing much to add with, besides what you've already said, but yeah, I, I love seeing the more development of, of Kamala kind of come into her own in, in these, uh, these certain scenes. Yeah. And then she gets a text from Kareem, gets invited to a bonfire, because and there's an acoustic guitar, because there always is. It uh, doesn't matter what part of the world you're in. Unfortunately. When, you when you're at a bonfire, somebody's got an acoustic guitar, and they're going to start playing and start singing. But anyway, <sighs> sounded fine. Um, but yeah, Kamala is just uh, hanging out. Meanwhile, Muniba and uh, Sana get to have their own mother-daughter conversation, and Muniba is wondering why all these toffee boxes are laying around, and Sana reveals that she saved them for Muniba in case she ever came back, because she knows that Muniba loves toffee. And then uh, Muniba starts giving her mother a massage, maybe not doing that great of a job, because <laughs> Sana says, is this some plan to take your frustrations out on me? Uh, I thought it was really, really funny. <laughs> and then we get the the backstory for Muniba and why she's felt the way that she has about her mother and how that informs her perception of uh, her daughter's behavior. Muniba talks about how she was shunned by her neighbors because she had the, quote, crazy mother with wild theories. And Sana is saying that she was just trying to share those theories with her daughter. And Muniba says that she didn't want the stories. She wanted her mother and this was a really nice moment of these two characters kind of yeah. trying to understand each other. And uh, and also, I think it sets up a nice moment when Kamala comes home and uh, Muniba is there 
And now Muniba, that toffee that her mother had been saving for her, now Muniba gets to share that with uh, with Kamala. And even talking when Kamala's asking about the conversation and, and how that went, um, Muniba saying to her own daughter, you know how mothers are, I, I thought was really, really funny. And I, I think acknowledge, Muniba's way of acknowledging to Kamala that like, yeah, I, I know I haven't been perfect. Like, I, I love you and I want what's best for you. And I know I haven't always been uh, the best at communicating that, I think is kind of is the idea that's getting across there. But getting back to the conversation between Sana and Muniba, this really explains it. And he even talks about how her, her father left. So there are a lot of things that Muniba maybe didn't get to en- enjoy and a lot of negative attention that she received as a result of her mother, which as a child, as Muniba was back then, you know, it's a, it can be a lot harder to understand where her mother's insistence on these theories and in her imagination and all of these different things. When you're a kid, as Muniba was then, it's a lot harder to focus on the bigger picture and you're just seeing all the negative ways that this is impacting you. And that's something that Muniba has kind of lived with for so long. And that's impacted now her relationship with her own daughter, who perhaps is maybe more like Sana than she is like Muniba in in many ways. But these characters just getting these moments to explore their perspectives and kind of explain where they were coming from, uh, even at these these perspectives that almost seem very much opposed to each other and, and cause these rifts between them. I love seeing them begin to maybe heal and find those and reaffirm those family connections again by just being able to say, how they felt and, and how they feel. So this is where, I mean, this is the stuff that I, I love about the show. This is the stuff that I think elevates yeah. Miss Marvel above uh, so many other things. Um, and that's why, you know, it seems like this that I really appreciate that I feel like maybe got more emphasis in, in previous episodes, but they were still here. And that's why I still uh, count this as a very good episode because of a scene like this one. Yeah, this is the stuff that we love. I think most people love. Um, you know, I have friends who who love watching the MCU, and we we watch things together all the time. And they they aren't huge on this this series, and I kind of edge, you know I I encourage them to keep going. And they definitely told me their favorite aspect is the family aspect. Bar, bar none is their fa- that's their favorite part of it. Um, and I thought it was cool that they, that they, that they said that. And so yeah, this is stuff that we I think uh, who. We being the people who really like the show have loved, and this we want to see the, the family aspect of it because again, it's relatable. I think that's what makes I think the Marvel characters and the Marvel stories and comics so so great is that they are relatable in so many different ways, and and I think that this is more evidence of that. And I love the fact that you know this is a grown you know grown woman telling her her mom that you know what how she felt, and this is maybe why she resents a lot of Kamala's you know stuff. You know, she sees in her in her own mom because she resents not just the fact that you know oh you're a dreamer that's a negative thing but it, there was a negative impact on that with her specifically or and, and let's be real it is a legitimate negative thing you know this mm-hmm. is something that is you know it's a byproduct and everything is hunky dory you know there is you know, people you know there was that classic your greatest strength is also also your greatest weakness right so I mean it's it's evident that there was a uh, a casualty in a sense of, of what her mom or her, excuse me, her, her grandmother was like to her mom. So 
Um, it was interesting. I like that aspect of it, that it, nothing's just a, you know, you're like this. It, it, it's perfect. You know, the people are imperfect. And I think that they're you, acknowledging that and showing how it affects other people was, was a good thing and, and interesting. So, yeah, I like that. I, I felt you wanted more, you know, more of that in this episode, um, not of that, just that, that conversation, but more developing of, of that and exploring that idea. Yeah, because I definitely felt like the conversation between Sana and Muniba I felt like I wanted it to keep going and I, I felt like it almost needed to keep going. Like they, they kind of had this breakthrough and I wanted to see that kind of turn. I, I wanted to see them continue to expand on that. Not that they could resolve all of their differences um, in just one conversation, but it definitely felt like that conversation could have carried on um, a little bit longer. But I think they got the main points across to let these characters see one another's perspective because what's really missing there is is balance right it's a good thing to dream it's also a very good thing to be practical but it's not a good thing to only dream it's not necessarily a good thing to only be practical you want to have balance right and i think that's what's missing is you have these opposite ends of the spectrum and you have uh, kamala who seems to be more toward that dreamer side and and maybe ultimately she's going to be the balance that brings uh, her mother and grandmother together and and allows them to to see uh, to see all of this although I think they're both doing a lot on their own by having conversations like the one that we see here but all of this stuff you know these characters exploring their history with one another and and how they've made each other feel because even Sana being able to share how she felt she felt like her daughter kind of ran away from her and never wanted to come back and, and all of those things and that's not really what it was and so seeing these characters just talk it out and gain a better understanding of each other um, is uh, is amazing to see, and it's it's such a huge part of the success uh, of the show. And uh, continuing on with the episode, so we're back in the Red Daggers hideout, and Walid thinks that there's something unique about Kamala, perhaps the fact that she's from this world, um, kind of tethers her to this world, but allows her to tap into the powers from the Nor uh, dimension. And then he also hands her what is the next piece of her costume. So we're getting closer and closer to that actual Miss Marvel costume. We don't get it in uh, this episode. But then the the Jin show up, and we get a fight, and we get the chase that is uh, going on through Karachi, and all of this stuff. I, I really, I really love. You talk about the powers for Kamala Khan, and just how much cooler they are in the show compared to in the comics. Like when she makes that ramp that makes the truck crash. That was awesome. I I totally loved that. And then, you know, Kamala Khan, who cares if she failed her driver's test? This is a chase scene. So when she takes off, hits her first pedestrian, although not really a pedestrian, one of the clandestine people who's trying to kill them. Um, and then uh, all of that chase sequence I, I thought was great. And then Walid, of course, as our mentor figure, has to make the heroic sacrifice. He saves Kamala and Kareem. But in the process, he turns his back to Najma, of course, leader of the jinn. And then she stabs him in the back, kills him. And then we get a team up fight of Ms. Marvel and Red Dagger versus the Jinn. Uh, Red Dagger or, well, he called Red Dagger in the comic books, but he's one of the Red Daggers, Kareem, uh, in the show. And uh, Kamala ends up blocking a dagger when Najma tries to stab her. It goes right into the bangle. And this, uh, the touch of this blade on the bangle ends up sending Kamala back in time to what appears to be the night of partition and the night of partition and that last train uh, that was talked that has been talked about multiple times throughout this series, the one that uh, Sana made it back to, but where nobody knows what happened to Aisha that night. It looks like Kamala has been sent back in time to be able to see that for herself. What she seeks is seeking her um, to be revealed in 
chapter five or episode five, which many of you listening to this have probably already seen, and you know what happened, but Paul and I do not as of this. But anyway, Paul, really liked this. Uh, I really, really liked this chase scene. Uh, I thought it was fun and inventive in the way they had Kamala Khan using her powers, but it also had this the sense of danger that needed to be there. And then we talk about the stakes, the the impact. Uh, I kind of wish Waleed was a character who was going to stick around for a little bit longer because I, I really, really liked him. But of course, seeing uh, the stakes of this and also seeing what everybody's willing to do, right? Because here we see Najma actually kill Waleed, uh, but we also see Kareem killing uh, a member of the Jinn. So we see just how how violent this battle, this rivalry uh, has been over the years. We get a taste of it uh, in this sequence, while also just leaving us just really waiting to know uh, with a high level of anticipation of what happens next week because of the way they, they found a way to end this episode um, with uh, Kamala perhaps being thrown back in time, which I have no idea how to exactly to make sense of that right now, but uh, I'm sure that will all be explained in uh, in episode five. But this was a, a fast, uh, a very fast, fast-paced ending to this episode, um, but I thought it really, really worked. And I think the pacing really maximized the impact of uh, Kamala Khan being thrown back in time because you're really not supposed to have sure footing at the end of this episode, and they uh, they didn't let you have it, and I liked it. Man, again, I love this show because it's not like the comics, and again, I, I, I thought, you know, prerequisite always to follow the comics, but this to me is is keeping me on you know my toes because I have no idea what the hell's going on with this, and I was not expecting that to happen. Um, you know, a, a time travel thing, I and mean, this is really, really, really fun. This is the one thing that I I like this episode fine. This would maybe go okay. I, I I was not like disliking the episode, but this is to me where it made me go okay. I love the the series is, is not letting me this be kind of sit back and go, okay, this is what's going to happen. Okay. Check that box, which again, a, not just Marvel films, but a lot of mainstream, you know, action, whatever you want to call them films are going to do. And TV shows, they all have certain similar beats and you know, whatever. Right. And with this, you're, you're kind of, you know, I knew this episode was going to be a lot of the heavy lifting of, of kind of an origin story, developing her powers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But this ending made me go, okay, I have no idea what to expect and what's going to happen. And that got me really excited. I have no idea what's going to happen this next episode. And I have not watched the episode. It's out right now. I probably won't get to it till tomorrow. And then I, I got to fit you know, Thor Love and Thunder at some point this weekend too. Good Lord. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but I, I got to tell you, I have no idea where the show is going as far as, you know, Miss Marvel and what this means for her and exactly. And, and the mythology that they're kind of growing with the, 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 the Jin and, and the Noor. And I'm super stoked, man. I got to tell you, I'm super stoked because I have no idea what to expect. And I think that's the best part to be in any kind of series, TV show, whatever you're reading, to be have no idea what, what, what's going to happen. And you're you're really invested in to see what's going to happen. And that's what they have me right now with this episode, the, the whole time travel thing. Yeah, they really do. It's uh, it's awesome. I'm loving this series so far. I, I think it's still right there, even though it didn't continue that projection of, uh, or that trajectory of each episode is better than the last one. This one didn't match the heights of episode three for me. Still a very good episode. And still, I mean, pound for pound, scene for scene, episode for episode. This one's really up there for the Marvel Studios series on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I, I just continue to love it so much and, and cannot wait to uh, dive into episode five, which now that we've recorded this episode, we get to do. And also... 
I'm looking forward to seeing again Thor: Love and Thunder with the uh, the humble brag of having already seen it. Not so humble brag, I guess. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, if you were following on Twitter at MCU Fan Show, you know I really, really loved the movie. I can't wait for Paul to see it. And I can't wait to discuss it in full spoilery detail, which is coming up very soon. So while we appreciate your patience in waiting for this episode four review of Miss Marvel, I've got two more episodes coming your way very soon. A Miss Marvel episode five spoiler review. And of course, that Thor Love and Thunder spoiler review. And then since I already mentioned the at MCU Fan Show Twitter, it's the same thing on Instagram. If you want to follow there, make sure you check out Fan Show Plus whether that's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. That's where you'll hear us talk very, very soon about Marvel Studios heading back to San Diego Comic-Con, as well as a Thunderbolts movie having a director and a Wonder Man series being developed for Woo! Disney+. Plus. So lots to talk about over on Fan Show Plus, so make sure you check that out. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Uh, we were off this week because I was celebrating my, uh, aunt, oh my gosh, I forgot what it was, wedding anniversary with my wife. That was weird. And uh, next week, though, I'm very excited because we're going to do it. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be doing a top five underutilized uh, Spider-Man allies and or villains. So in the comic books in which I think you if you're interested in Spider-Man at all, I think that uh, for future films and maybe even with way Sony's going potential films at this point. Uh, this could be a fun episode for you to check out because we're, uh, with the, with the Spider-Man Council. Uh, we have a very vast you know, amount of people. We all have very, very vastly different opinions about Spider-Man and our love of the characters and, and allies and villains are all going to be there. So, you know, this will be a focus on what we think, you know, are, there aren't enough stories of these characters that we love. So, um, definitely check that out to be a lot of fun. That'll be this Tuesday, 745, uh, PM Pacific standard time. And if you, if it's too late for you, uh, East coasters or, or central coasters, where it's Central Coast, I like that. Um, you can uh, always watch it later. So yeah, check us out there. There's lakes. You can have a Central Coast. There anyway, yeah. So and if you want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>